We are in the final week of our three-week series on uh, the, the vision of, of Grace Church, which is to grow a healthy church that enjoys the grace of God, declares and demonstrates that grace to the communities we live in. And in our case, that's in Haven and the surrounding area. So today we're going to be looking at what it means for the church that declares and demonstrates uh, that grace. Now, I'm going to start off with a personal story. So uh, I became a Christian when I was 19, many, 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 many years ago. And it was a best friend of mine at school. And he invited me along to his baptism. And I'm very grateful that he, he did. The thing is, he never told me about his, his Christian experience. And it was most odd when he said, I'm getting baptized. Because I thought, oh, that's strange. I didn't even know that you were religious. And so he invited me along to his baptism. And I was so amazed hearing the gospel and, and everything that I saw that I said, I want to come along the next week as well. And as it happens, there are baptisms the next week. And there was uh, the, the, the pastor who was, who was preaching at the end of the message, which is a pure gospel message, all that we've heard now our worship this morning about Jesus dying on the cross and, and our sins are forgiven if we come to him. It was just wonderful news to my ears. I mean, I, I'd never heard the gospel like this before. So in front of about 500 people, because it's a large church, he invited anyone to come forward who wanted to respond. And I did. And I sort of came down the front and thought, I'm the only one. But... I was then prayed with at the end, and this amazing experience, I've encountered Jesus. And then my friend at the end came up to me, and he said, tomorrow is going to be the worst day of your life, because you're going to have to tell people you've become a Christian. Now, I was a bit taken aback, because I just experienced this amazing encounter with God. And then he turns around and says, tomorrow is going to be the worst day of your life. Actually, if we think that sharing our faith is something that we have to do and we grit our teeth, which is, I think is what he did, even in inviting me along to his baptism, I think he sort of thinks, I've got to do this, therefore I'll do it. If we do that, we will never be good witnesses to the gospel because our witness to the gospel comes out of our enjoying God. Our experience, God, will never be good witness to the gospel if we share our faith out of an attitude of I must rather than out of an attitude of this is such good news I've got to tell others. Now, sadly, my friend, I think his ex Christian experience was caught up in what you might call legalism. He thinks to be a Christian, you must do this, this, this and this and this. My experience at that time was I've just encountered the living God. I want to enjoy this. And I didn't need to hear him say, this tomorrow's going to be the worst day of your life because you're going to have to tell someone about it. Now, sadly, uh, he, he, his, his faith actually in the years ahead dwindled. And uh, now I'm talking about, I don't know, 30 years ago or something. And he's no longer walking with God. If we live our lives out of a legalistic approach, we will never be good witnesses. If we live it out of enjoying God's grace and his love, then we've got a great message to tell. So I think you could probably say that our, our vision statement comes out of the passage that we are going to look at today. There's nothing new about a vision statement. It's just a simple way of putting into words what uh, Joe has said, the main thing being the main thing. And what's the main thing? The main thing is Jesus being central and us living in a, a lives obedient and out of joy to him. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 28, 
and verses 16 to 20. If you have got Bibles, it's worth uh, turning to it. It's the very last uh, chapter in Matthew, and it's the last words that Jesus said in, uh, in the book of, uh, of Matthew. So I shall read it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you look in your Bibles, I expect nearly all of you would have a title above that which says the Great Commission. And so these verses are basically the Great Commission. The thing that Jesus said is most important. Uh, The commission to his disciples to go and make further disciples. And I'd like to bring out just five points from this text, uh, which I trust will help us, um, as I say, as as Joe has said, to keep the main thing the main things. This is the very heart of our our vision statement, if you like. And and the first is, uh, is, is found in verses 16 and 17. Uh, so they gathered, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. When they came up to the mountain and they saw Jesus, what's the first thing they do? The first thing they did above anything else, they've seen the risen Lord, he's alive. The first thing they did is they worshipped And we are called, fundamentally, to be worshippers. Above anything else in our lives, we are called to be worshippers. To be witnesses of Jesus is to be worshippers of Jesus. And to enjoy God's grace is primarily about enjoying God's presence and worshipping him. That's what we've been doing this morning, but that's what should be actually our whole lives as an act of worship. So Jesus is risen from the dead. His disciples would have seen him on various occasions And at one of these encounters, he had said to them, now I want you to meet me up on the mountain. And the mountain is often used in the Bible uh, to designate a meeting with God. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see some of the most significant encounters where God meets with with his, uh, his people happen on mountains. So God spoke to Moses from a burning bush, and that was on Mount Horeb. Uh, Later, Moses received the Ten Commandments, at that same mountain, which is also known as Mount Sinai. Uh, During his earthly life, Jesus' famous teaching of the Sermon on the Mount took place, implied by the (laughs) the Sermon on the Mount, on a mountain uh, above the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus went up with, with Peter, James and John to another mount for the Transfiguration. So we often talk, don't we, about mountaintop experiences, and we talk about mountaintop experiences, and you see it in Scripture, because in, mount, in mountaintop experiences, many uh, followers of God encountered him there. And they had encountered Jesus. The disciples had encountered Jesus on various occasions and had amazing encounters which had changed their lives. Jesus is all-compelling. Meeting him, having an encounter with Jesus, as I trust we all have here, should be all-compelling. Because to live for him, there's no better way. 
There's nothing better than knowing Jesus, putting our trust in him. Before anything else, our first response to knowing Jesus is to worship him. The reason that at the very heart, at the very start of our vision statement, he says to enjoy God's grace because we are called fundamentally to enjoy God. And before we could tell anyone else about Jesus, we have first to know him personally, worship him and love him. Now, if I put it crudely, a poor salesman is one who doesn't believe in his product. A poor salesman is one who doesn't believe in his product. A good salesman is one who is totally and utterly convinced that their product is good. Now, we're not talking about a product in terms of our relationship with Jesus. We're talking about knowing the living God. And we believe there's nothing compared to this. And if you know that and you believe that, you'll want to tell others because you know this is a life worth living. Joe also mentioned this, the uh, Westminster Catechism. Um, He mentioned this on the first uh, Sunday of the series. And the Westminster Catechism starts with this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If we are in Christ, do you know eternity has already begun? We are going to enjoy God for all eternity. And we've been, it came up in the worship this morning, you know, life's pretty tough at the moment. Uh, you just got to put on the news, and item after item after item is of negativity. If this is all we're living for, what hope is there? But we have got an eternal hope. And that is to enjoy God for all eternity. And you know what? We can enjoy him now, here and now. So first and foremost, it is to be worshippers. God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? He really wants you to be happy. He wants me to be happy. And my happiness and your happiness is found in enjoying him. When we are most satisfied in God, he is most glorified in us. That's the way it is. And Moses Uh, and Elijah, they appear in front of Jesus and when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. And it's a famous story, isn't it? So there's Peter, uh, James and John looking up and there's Jesus transfigured before them on the mountain, white and glowing robes, and there's Moses and Elijah. And good old Peter, who's actually renowned for putting his foot in it, puts his foot in it again. He says, wow, this is amazing. Let's stay here. Let's build some tents. Come on, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Have you known times where you've experienced God, had your mountaintop experience, if you like, and you thought, I don't want this to stop. I want to stay here and be here for good. That was was Peter's uh, experience. He thought, this is good. But, you know, enjoying God's grace is not static. It results in action. We are going to have all eternity where we will be in God's presence forever and ever and ever. But until that day comes when all things are made new, God has called us with a job to do here and now. The Great Commission. Now, a personal story. Uh, In 2010, at the age of 56, you can do the maths, um, we were in a position where through a number of different circumstances, God spoke to us to move on from the church we'd been a part of ever since I became a Christian at the, well, it was just after, about two years after I became a Christian at the age of 19. Been in this church all our lives. 
We'd raised our family in this church. We'd had some amazing encounters with God in this church. We had prayer meetings, which I still say were second to none in terms of expectation of God meeting with us. Uh, we, in many respects, it, we, we were, it, was, it was like Peter. I thought, this is great stuff. I want to stay here. And then suddenly God speaks and calls us to, to move churches and go and support another church at the age of 56. And everything within me could have been said, I don't want to go. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it here. But our testimony is that in going, there was huge blessing. When you're obedient to God, there's blessing. When you're disobedient, there's not. Had we stayed there, we'd be, it'd be a bit like having too much chocolate. Yet we could have stayed there for the rest of our lives, and I'm sure God would still have blessed us, but it wouldn't have been quite the same. Because God does not call us to stay static. He calls us to be on the move. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, that means we have got to physically move. What I am saying is that God has a call upon our lives to be obedient to him and run with what he says. That means taking hold of every opportunity that he has to be able to, if you like, fulfill the Great Commission. And not only did we move once, but we moved twice, which resulted us being in here in Chichester since 2017, or if you guys haven't. So that's where we came to. And, and it's, it, it's, it's wonderful when you are sensitive to God speaking. Uh, enjoying God's grace means we don't keep it to ourselves. We don't hide it away or become hermits. Rather, Jesus' call is to go and make disciples, being always ready to declare. Whether that's school, work, neighbourhood, Friends, enemies, God calls us to be those who are sharing and declaring this amazing news. But it has to come out first from worship. Your first response in encountering Jesus is to worship. Then it's to declare. Uh, But it's an interesting, I've often read the Great Commission, and um, I don't know how many of you have noticed that word doubt. But I often skim straight past it. But look what it says. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, we're not sure. There could have been many others there other than the 11 who are up on the mountain. But it clearly said they doubted. Now, what did they doubt? They'd had a number of times where Jesus had appeared to them. Were they doubting that he was really risen? Were they doubting it was him? Were they doubting his commands and what he was about to say to them? Whatever it is, we do know that doubt happened amongst the disciples. Thomas himself said, unless I put my finger in, in, the, in the holes in your hand or my fist in your side, I will not believe. Do you know, it's common for every believer to go through phases of doubt. And if the 11 disciples doubted for whatever reason, and they have seen the risen Lord Jesus... It's a bit of a reassurance when sometimes we go through doubt. Now look, you can have the most amazing encounter with God. And then the the very next day, you're in a situation where your unbelieving friend or someone at work starts asking about your faith. And suddenly all the doubts come in. It sounds so stupid. They raise all the scientific objections of why you're, you're, you're stupid to believe that there is a God or that Jesus is alive. What does it come out of? 
How, how do we overcome that? Well, I think, I think there's a couple of reasons why these things happen. I think there's a couple of reasons why these doubts come. And the first, we have an enemy who hates what we believe. And he'll do whatever he can to stop us. There's an enemy out there who hates the good news of the gospel and wants to stop us. And secondly, I think we step back into reason rather than experience. Now, that's not to say there's not a time to explain the gospel as to why you believe that that God exists. I've had occasions where I've done that with with friends and talked about... um, uh, the scientific evidence, etc., etc. But fundamentally, none of that's going to convince people unless you're able to say, but look, as like uh, the, uh, <laughs> the man who Jesus healed who was blind. Once I was blind, now I see. Once I was this, now I'm that. What's happened? God has changed my life. This I know above anything else. I was this, now I'm that. When we resort away from experience, if you like, the, um, our knowledge of God, that's when it becomes hard. We press on, we worship, press through, through doubt. We need to continually enjoy the grace of God. It's great to enjoy God's grace and worship here this morning. Tomorrow morning, when you're in that situation, whether it's at work or, or, or at school or wherever it is, and, uh, and you're... you're you're challenged with your faith. That's the time. Drink deep of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the God of, uh, uh, and enjoy his grace. And there will be times where you are challenged. And I, I love, again, the assurance that we're given. And this is in Luke 12, 11 to 13. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. God wants us to continually live by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you're challenged with your faith, what do you do? You draw upon the Holy Spirit and God will give you the words. If you think ahead of time, uh, and I, <laughs> there's times I've done this, thinking, I don't know how I'm going to, to, to talk to this person who I promise I'll talk to him. I don't know how I'm going to do it. If you think ahead of time, you can get yourself into the right state. But at the right moment, the Holy Spirit will enable you and equip you and help you. We declare our faith as we continually enjoy the presence of God, as we continually enjoy the grace of God. Worship and enjoying God must come first, and then declaration comes second. Third point, we declare knowing that Jesus has all authority. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Knowing the truth that Jesus has authority helps us overcome the doubts. Because it's not down to us, it's down to him. We cannot make anybody a believer. It's God who does it by his Holy Spirit. But we want to be a church that lives out the grace of God in absolutely everything we, would, we do. We're saved by grace and we live it to declare our faith by grace. It's not that Jesus saved us and then it's all down to, uh, to us for the rest. You know, Je- Jesus did this amazing thing. He saved me. Now it's all down to me. And this is the mistake that my friend made. You know, I just had this amazing encounter with God. And then he says, now it's all down to you, Steve. You're going to have to tell people that you've, you've become a Christian. That's going to be really hard. 
Now, actually, what he should have said to me, and I'm ever so grateful to my friend that he did take me to church. Don't get me wrong. I'm so grateful. But he missed the point. What he should have said, Steve, enjoy God. Enjoy his grace. Enjoy being a believer, knowing that Jesus has got all authority. And he will go and give you authority when you're t- tomorrow morning at work and people ask you, what's happened to you? You say, I've met Jesus. Jesus has authority. He's the one who is at work. And uh, knowing that Jesus is in charge brings tremendous security. The one who created all things is an authority over my life. And he gives authority in his name as we go out into our communities, as we go and share this good news, wherever you are, whatever your situation, authority is in Jesus and we trust in him. When we share our faith, our confidence in Jesus is to be at work in people's lives and by his spirit. It's all down to him. I'm, I'm sure that uh, all those years ago, when I'm, I'm sitting in, in this chair and I've got my best friend there and his girlfriend next to him, and he suddenly sees me. I, I remember seeing them look at each other. What? Steve's got up. I got up and walked down the front. There was no one probably more surprised than them that I'd actually responded to the gospel. Now, he was probably thinking, it's all down to me. No, it's not. It's down to God. And we need to remember that not to be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. It's down to God to do the work. Our responsibility is to declare the truth. The rest is down to God to change people's lives. We cannot do it. It's God who does it. And he has the authority to do it. And had someone not spoken to you, or had someone not put you in a situation where you hear the gospel, you may not be here now. But because you had the opportunity to hear the gospel, it was God who was at work in your life to save you. We can make the mistake, it's all down to us. No, it's not. It's down to him who has all authority. And it's down to him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to all who believe. Then moving swiftly on. Fourthly, we declare and demonstrate to make disciples. Let's look up at verse 19. Um, Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Making disciples involves declaring and demonstrating. There's words and there's actions. And uh, and we we cannot um, say that, you know, God has changed my life if there's not evidence of that in the way that we live that out and act that out, people see, will see through it. So making disciples, teaching them and obeying them, there's something about actually showing that not only is it words, but teaching comes also by people looking at our lives. When they see our lives, that what we say is true and makes a difference. Now, here's another personal example. Um, I personally, I'm not particularly brilliant. It isn't a confession. I find it hard in opening up conversations to share my faith. But when I get the opportunity and it does happen, the words start to flow. I've got a friend from years ago I'm in touch with now who I used to work with. And he lives in Wales and we regularly sort of FaceTime. And he's asking all sorts of questions. It's funny when people start to get older, they ask questions about faith because they're challenged with things in their lives. And he's clearly challenged uh, with things going on. He's asking me lots of questions. But I'm don't, I, I know that I'm not brilliant at it. But I'm not, it's interesting. One of the things he, 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 he has said 
uh, is he's seen our family and he says, your faith must have made a big difference to the relationship you have with your family. I said, you're absolutely right. It has. But there's something else which I, I just wanted to share. And this is a personal story. Many, many years ago, um, we, we had a, a guy who was uh, people in the church been reaching out to. And he is, his name is Basil. He was a drug addict. They'd found him on the streets. He was dirty and uh, totally addicted to, to, um, to drugs. And these guys who were doing a, a year team for the church, and, and they got alongside this, this bloke, and they were helping him. I mean, if I look back now, I, I, I would think it may not have been the wisest of things to do, but they were helping him come off drugs. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing this, because basically they... they they took him into their, their home and they 24-7 were sitting with him. But they were demonstrating and showing unconditional love in the way they were reaching out to this guy. So they weren't just talking about their faith, they're showing it. Now, our house became a place where people seemed to come and go at that time. And the, these guys said, oh, can we just bring Basil around? And they brought Basil around and Anne, my wife, says, you'll never forget it. They're sitting on the sofa. And then our, little, our daughter, who was about two at the time, Basil reaches out, picks, it, picks her up, and plonks her uh, on his lap. And uh, Anne, at the time, thought, I don't know how I feel about this. He, he reeks of drugs and smoke. He smells, and he's just put my daughter on his, on his lap. She, and she went through all these processes going through her mind. But afterwards, when she saw the reaction of this guy, that he was accepted into our family, that this... Our daughter, we're happy for her to be on his lap. Well, we weren't totally happy, but I mean, <laughs> we, did, we didn't show it. <laughs> no, honestly, there's something which demonstrates then that what we say affects what we do. And we know that uh, his life was, was, was touched by that. So there's, there's a personal element to demonstrating the grace of God. And God has placed each of us in, in unique circumstances. And we need to take, take hold of those as they come. Um, and that means that, that God has given you opportunities which we should take hold of. And God's given you particular skills and, and, and character which he will use for his glory. Look at this. Um, Matthew chapter 5, uh, 15 and 16. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this verse does not mean that we boast about the good things that we do. Uh, I'm not boasting about what we did with Basil. It's just an example. But we don't boast about those, those things. It means that as we live out the grace of God in our lives... It will bring glory to God. We don't hide it. We, we may never know how much our actions can affect people. In your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, as you live out your life as a believer, you don't know how much difference you are making to other people's lives. Um, and just on the side, I, I remember this when I, was, uh, I, I left my job working for the Ministry of Defense, which was way back in uh, 1991. been there for some 18 years, and uh, I'd got all these... Um, business colleagues around, and um, one bloke said to me, he said, what sort of church is it you're going to? And I, he said, is it evangelical? So I said, well, yes, it is. He said, well, I thought so. 
because there's something about you. Now, I'd never told him my faith because this is a company that I used to, it was from Westland Helicopters down Yeovil. And this guy I never, I'd see perhaps uh, two or three times a year. And I thought, what is it that he, he, he saw? Actually, each and every one of us, if we're in Christ, there's something about us which is, well, the Bible talks about being the fragrance of Christ to, to those who, unbelievers and believers alike. It's like there's something about us which touches people. Do not underestimate that when you're living and enjoying the grace of God, others will see something different about you. And we need to be in faith and believe in that and knowing that's true. Um, so we need to be ready to be there for people, to show the love and grace of God. So that's a personal element, but there's also a church element to demonstrating the grace of God, which is something corporately across Grace Church in our three sites and here in Haven we want to do. We're looking to demonstrate the grace of God to the communities we live in. Now, multi-site means that we are visible and active in these communities in ways that we couldn't be otherwise. Uh, now, multi-site has some benefits to us, but the reason we do it is for the sake of the communities and to enable us to declare and demonstrate God's grace in those communities. So we've got Sunday presence here in Havant, but let's be honest. We're a small number here at Wolverhampton School. There's not masses of us here. And there may be some in the immediate neighbourhood know that we meet here. But when you look at the vast numbers of people in Havant, there's so many more who yet to hear and know the, 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 the good news. There has to be a lot more t- to what it means to demonstrate in the grace of God here in Havant than just what we're doing right here, right now. And my question is this, you know, we don't want to stay as a nice small number here and have a good time on a Sunday morning. We want to grow. And why do we want to grow? We don't want to grow because numbers sound good. We want to grow because we've got good news we want to share with those around us. That's the whole reason we're here. We want to be a light to the communities in which we live. And we want to be a light here to heaven. So are you praying for that? Are you believing God for that? That heaven sight will grow so that many more people will come to see and know the good news. And we want to demonstrate the grace of God in this community. And we want to look for ways of doing that. Um, increasingly, we're hearing of the huge uh, impact that the cost of a living crisis is having. And we are all facing that challenge. But how much more must there be some in this community around us, right across Haven, who are facing huge pressures? Is there an opportunity for us to make a difference. Now, I'm not talking about going out and, uh, you know, going to our pockets to give money to people, but I, am, I do believe this community has got to make a difference to the communities that we live in. And it has, that's why God's called us to be here. God's placed us in the places where we live, not by chance. You live here. It's not a chance that you live here. God's placed you here. And when Israel was exiled to Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah said this, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Isn't that interesting? If haven't prospers, you'll prosper. our, Our nation desperately, more than ever before, needs a move of God. I don't think the hope of our nation lies in any politician. I believe the hope of this nation lies in the gospel and the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom I want to see come. 
So our only appropriate response to enjoying God's grace should be to show that grace in this area in which we live. So that's why things like food bank are a vital resource, and isn't it amazing it's Christians, which are often at the heart of things like food bank. Uh, The Halloween, the light party coming up, brilliant stuff. So excited about that. I know it's not here in Havant, but you can, I assume you've invited people and brought them along to the Grace Centre, and we can be a part of that by providing help and support um, and something I, I thought of, something we've often done at Trick and Treat Night is when people knock on the door, we, we have a huge box, box uh, of sweets to give out. But we could turn that on the, its head, couldn't, it? couldn't we? We could go out, now don't get me wrong, we could go out trick and treating, only we'll just go out and treat. Knock on people's doors and say, we want to give you a present. Here, have some sweets for your kids. We need to turn it upside down. An alternative society, if you like. The kingdom of God is so opposite to the world we live in. Let's look for opportunities where we can be different. Uh, We believe that as we do these things in response to God's grace to us, our communities will be blessed. And there's other things that we've done. We did last year, the Christmas boxes. I don't know what else we we might yet do. But what's your dream here in Havant? I want you to think about that. What is your dream for Havant? What do you long to see happen? in this huge community around here. What are you praying for? Let's be asking God how we can make a difference in our community. Now that can seem daunting. You know, it's huge. But are there different things which God is stirring you on, saying, what if we did this or, or did that? Sometimes these things start, start small. I remember in our previous church, there was this woman who had a real heart and passion for asylum seekers who used to come to Eastbourne and uh, just opened up a cafe and just... There was, when it started off, there was just perhaps one person might come in and sometimes no one came in. But she persevered because she'd got a real heart for asylum seekers. And uh, then she ended up getting support from, uh, from the council. And, and now, regularly, they've got people coming into that cafe and they are making a difference. Some of the people, refugees who have got no hope, people actually care. We've got an opportunity to make a difference. Let's be open to demonstrating that. There really is a great joy in it. Um, And then, of course, so much of what we do here at Grace Church comes out of um, the blessing of financial giving. We're so grateful to God for the way people give. But this enables us to fulfill what God's called us to do. So shortly, we are going to come up to to the offering. And... um, why do we do this? Well, obviously, it's an obedience to give, but it's primarily because out of the overflow of God's blessing and grace to us, we want to have a dip, make a difference in this, in this community. So we give also to build God's church. Let there be an overflow coming out of us of the grace and the joy of God. It's so, it is, there is a joy in giving. There really is a joy in giving because we're not living for this life. This life hasn't got a lot to offer. We realize that. The best that this life has got to offer is when we're loving and enjoying grace and then we're so happy and then we give out of an abundance uh, in faith. Finally, we declare and demonstrate knowing that he is with us. Look at uh, the last part of verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a wonderful comfort. Jesus assures us that we are not alone. He goes with us. That's so important to know. 
He is always with us. He'll never leave us. We declare and demonstrate the grace of God and Jesus is with us. We're not alone. It's continuous. It goes on and on. And if you're like me, you may long for more opportunities to be able to share your faith and you feel you fall far short. But this amazing grace that we've received, we are inadequate to do anything about it without God doing it. And I've already mentioned that. And Acts 1 verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and haven't and to the ends of the earth. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to share this wonderful good news. So I want us to believe God for great things for haven't. I want us to believe God for great things for Grace Church. We have got a wonderful message. We want to grow a healthy church that enjoys the grace of God and declares and demonstrates that grace to the communities we live in. And for us, that's right here in Haven't. And it's my prayer that increasingly God will bless us. So, uh, Pete and uh, Mel, if you could come up, it'd be great. Um, in a moment, we are going to take up our, our gift day. And uh, if you've already given... Uh, or you're, you're visiting us here today, please know, don't think you've got to do this again. We do it out of the love and the joy that we have in Christ. It comes out as an overflow. So on your seats, and just to, I mean, just to explain once again, we are looking for around about £75,000 across Grace Church to, to meet our, our needs for this financial year. And we've had one gift day, and we're still a long way short of that 75,000. Now, we are absolutely convinced that God will meet our needs. He always has done, and he always will do. But I'd encourage you, believe God. Take steps of faith this morning. What you can do is, uh, you've got the gift day green leaflet here. Fill out the details. Um, You can either pledge, or you can pay in different ways, either by credit card or direct payment from your, your, to your bank from your bank you don't have to fill out that one just rip that off fill out that pop it in the envelope and then we will take that up in a moment but as I say let this be an act of faith it comes out of an overflow just an overflow of our thanksgiving to God and all that he has done so let, let's stand we're going to worship we'll sing one song and then we'll take up the offering. But let me just first pray. Lord, we thank you for the utter joy of being your children. Thank you that we can enjoy the grace of God. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. Once I had no hope, now I've got hope. I'm a child of God. And Lord, what a joy that is to know that we've got a whole future and eternity with you. So Lord, help us as a church to grow and make disciples, Lord, that we might enjoy the grace of God and all that you've done for us and that we might indeed declare and demonstrate that grace to our communities. It's all for your glory, Lord. It's not about us. It's it's about you. So we pray your blessing in Jesus' name.